made in the trade Silver Surfer Requiem. I'm here with Jeremy Gates, who was also on previous episodes of Made in the Trade, which were Civil War and Spider-Man Craven's Last Hunt. Welcome back, Jeremy. Hello, Alan. Hello. We are currently reviewing the Silver Surfer's Requiem. And uh, if you don't know this story, it is about the Silver Surfer's mortality. It's, he is terminally ill in this storyline. And uh, Jeremy, before we get into it, what was your overall thought of the story? The first thing that uh, comes to me is that it is striking artwork in this book. Yes, it is beautiful. Um, Paintings. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. And it reminds me of a Neil Gaiman story. It reminds me of The Sandman, which for me is very high praise. Um, that's the first thing that struck me with him standing amid the giant nebula and the inner monologue. It made me think of The Sandman, which is a wonderful way to start. For sure, yes. It's, it's beautiful. The, it's oil-painted. It is uh, written by J. Michael Straczynski, who uh, has done other storylines. Um, I think he's done work with Spider-Man, with Superman. And if I'm not mistaken, he's also written the Superman Walks storyline, where Superman chooses not to fly, and he walks from coast to coast in the United States, and he learns more about the individual issues of people. And this story takes yet another omnipotent character, the surfer, and makes him have to face his own death. It seems like that's a common, common thread for him then, is, is humanizing these omnipotent, super powerful characters and exploring that. And the best comic book stories pull you in as a reader. You can relate to a character who, from a distance, you would assume you can't relate to. So yeah, I think... It's a great choice um, as a writer, and it's a great choice to pair the, that writer, Straczynski, up with the Silver Surfer. So let's go into issue one, Jeremy. Yes. Um, issue one, we start off with, like you described, he's in some sort of a nebula surrounded by meteors and whatnot, and then realizes that there's something wrong. And he goes down to Earth to visit his old friends, particularly the smartest man he knows which is reed richards of the fantastic four and he tells them it tells uh he tells half the fantastic four to please leave him alone with sue and reed so he can discuss what's up which shows who his real friends are in the fantastic four he does not care about ben and johnny <laughs> apparently he doesn't relate to johnny and ben that well um they even show a little bit of uh, hurt <laughs> As far as that's concerned, usually when the Fantastic Four interacts with the Silver Surfer, it is Reed and Ben who give a little bit of levity uh, as far as the problems that the Surfer is facing. And I think often the Silver Surfer doesn't uh, relate to the emotional grounding that Reed and Ben offer. So right now he didn't want emotional grounding. He wanted some scientific proof of fact or fiction with his uh, condition. Right, Johnny and Ben. Johnny and Ben, you need to yeah. leave the room while Reed and maybe even Sue help me out with this. But Before that, they do bring up something interesting with the Fantastic Four and kind of macabre and awful. They talk about Reed stretching his eyes. Uh-huh. Which, which was a shocking and awful image that apparently Reed is never allowed to do again because Sue will break up with him. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was an interesting image that uh, Ben or Johnny talk about, and it immediately made me uncomfortable. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently makes his wife uncomfortable as well. Reed does what he's got to do for science, <laughs> even if it grosses out the people around him. So um, this is uh, my knowledge of the Silver Surfer is as a side character, typically. Yes. So seeing him be front and center and getting into his head is, is nice for me, especially when it's written as well as this, this uh, book was written. Yeah, this is the, and this is why I recommended this story for you in particular, but um, I, I recommend it as a whole uh, because if you're not a fan of the silver surfer, I think this is one of those stories that can pull you in. Um, it is, it is a bit grounded. You're dealing with something like life and death, which, um, the Silver Surfer is often depicted as an omnipotent character, so you don't think of death associated with him and him dealing with it. So, uh, no, I, I, I love this story overall, um, how it's dealing with mortality. And in particular, one of the aspects of this, we've got the origin of the Silver Surfer. Yes. So the Silver Surfer, when he was not the Silver Surfer, Norn Rad was his name, and Galactus was about to consume his home planet of Zenla. He offers to become a herald of Galactus, which means he would fly around the universe finding suitable planets for him to consume under the hopes that he would lead them, lead Galactus to planets that don't have intelligent life. Now, there's been a bit of retconning with his character, and apparently Galactus manipulated his memories and his conscious which uh, conscience which were he would in fact lead him to planets that had some intelligent life uh, because galactus got to eat and uh, <laughs> at one point uh, the surfer led him to earth uh, under the assumption that there was no intelligent life he finds life there wasn't sure how advanced it was until alicia masters another fantastic four character convinced him that they are capable of love and um and he realizes that they're a civilization worth fighting for so he turns on galactus in that story from the fantastic four which is his introduction as a character and that's the uh in a nutshell origin of the silver surfer what has been your take on the silver surfer as a whole my take on the silver surfer is he will show up halfway through an issue and start screaming about the power cosmic and then just kind of save the day and leave. Yeah. Uh, in fact, and he does not disappoint even in this series. In each <laughs> issue, he probably screams the power cosmic three times per issue, which is, yes. to me, is his calling card. I'm not super <laughs> familiar with the Silver Surfer outside of like some very psychedelic 60s drawings. And of course, the Joe Satriani album. Yes, for sure. So I know him as a, as a side character. So focusing in on him. And it's interesting that the comic starts with him saying his name. It, the, the comic opens with, I am Norrin Rad, or my name is Norrin Rad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first step towards looking at this character as more than a silver guy that rides a surfboard through space. Yes, he's, you, he's a person. You immediately say his name, and you don't say, I am the silver surfer, because that right. distances you initially. You go, I am Norrin Rad, that's who I am. And I also happen to be a guy that rides a silver surf, you know, surfboard through the cosmos. Right. And that's the thing with this story, as well as any good story, is if you can relate to the protagonist, it makes it that much more powerful. Yes. And this first issue does a great job of showing him from other perspectives, right? It shows him from mm -hmm. Reed, from Johnny, from the different people who are uh, learning that he is, uh, you know, facing a 
terminal illness. Yeah. And um, you know, maybe it was Noren's thought that if Reed could disprove him being terminal, that maybe he didn't have to break the hearts of Johnny and Ben. Um, but maybe that's me just assuming. That's true. Um, they don't really give a lot of insight into that. I just find it funny that when he shows up, all four mm -hmm. of them are like, hey, how you doing, surfer? And he's like, you two, please leave. <laughs> I'm sure he'd send Sue out too, but there's no way Reed's going to keep information from her. Right. I did think uh, that interaction with them had something beautiful when Reed finally comes to the point that the technology that's killing you is so far beyond what I can comprehend. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not able to help you. And then he brings up uh, the surfer, Norrin Rad, brings up something about uh, a monarch butterfly, which is really the most beautiful part of that, this first issue. Uh, go, go ahead and elaborate on that. He, he says that a monarch butterfly lives for two weeks. So if he only has two weeks left, he actually lives through, or if he only has a month left, he's going to get two generations of life. Yeah. No, it's a, an extremely optimistic view of the worst news a person can hear. And yes. It, it, it is a beautiful lesson to think about life like that. Like imagine being told you have a month to live and your reaction to that is, well, at least I can live as long as two different monarch butterflies. It's, it's very humbling and sweet. Yeah. And that's another thing that uh, kind of evoked the Neil Gaiman to me. Mm. In that there's a famous line from his death miniseries, part of the you know Sandman Endless series, is that um, when a, a, a baby passes away and she takes it and the baby says, that's unfair, she says, you got what everyone got, you got a lifetime. Right. And it's a very famous line. And this kind of shot me back to that when he said, well, I get two generations of a monarch butterfly's existence. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's a beautiful way to, to, to kind of shift your perspective on something like that. I'm yeah. hearing you have a month to live. Mm -hmm. And that was really the, the highlight of the first, the first issue to me. Is, is that little bit of his perspective on, you know, because Reed and Sue and everybody are all broken up that he's, you know, he's dying. And right. that's how he chooses to look at it and doesn't seem that affected by it. Yeah. And once again, this is, um, this is how, how people deal with death. And when you think of a good friend of yours who might embody the greatest things in life and you're like this person's been been given a death sentence and you're like this is unfair this person's done nothing wrong um they they're one of the most wonderful people that i know and yet they're dying uh the silver surfer has always been portrayed as a very moral character he was willing to sacrifice his freedom and interacting with his loved ones to save them and it, it is an, an allusion to uh, Christianity where one person sacrifices their life for the life of everyone in the world. He sacrifices his freedom for the, the people of Zen law. And once again, he sacrificed his freedom for the people of Earth because what Galactus winds up doing after he betrays his uh, allegiance is he imprisons uh, the Silver Surfer on Earth saying that he can no longer, you know, soar the galaxy and he can no longer return to um, his home planet either. So that was so I did. I, oh, sorry. Go on, go on. I was saying I did some research afterwards. And yes, about Galactus essentially seals the Silver Surfer with a, a space balls, um, you know. <laughs> a, do, a, a dome, a, a, a dome that he around can't, the earth, yes. That he can't leave. Mm -hmm. 
I, I did some research on the Silver Surfer after reading this because I was, you know, compelled. I was like, okay, he's more than a guy on a silver surfboard that shows up and splashes a power cosmic everywhere. Right. Um, I, I did uh, the the one the thing that really grabs me from the get go in this is that it's a it's a it's a finite series. It's about a character passing away, mm-hmm. and that always appeals to me. Not necessarily a character dying, but a a, a finite series. Yeah, one of the things I like about doing stories like this, you know, doing made in the trade in general, is you can have a beginning, middle, and end. Even though they're characters that I I follow in serialized storylines uh, on a monthly periodical, they can still do stories like this where we do deal with a beginning, middle, and end of a, a character. Yeah, and that that helps you know ground it for me. Mm-hmm. Where you know if I if I'm gonna if I was gonna grab a Silver Surfer story to read, I have sixty years, give or take, yeah. to, to grab. Whereas this is like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I can look at all that stuff as what he's done in the past. Here's the end of the story. Right. And interesting, I think this is an, this is considered a an out of continuity story. Yes, because the uh, Silver Surfer is still alive in the Marvel universe. Right, which is something I I, I had to look up midway through reading the mm. first issue. Okay. Because, it, you know, if I read this beautiful story and then f- suddenly find out, oh, wait, he came back to life two <laughs> issues later. Right. Because, you know, the universe needed him. I'd be like, man, that takes away a lot of this. But right. I think it was very smart to have this be a separate, mm-hmm. its own self-contained story that when the Silver Surfer eventually dies, it will be like this. Yes. So let's move on to issue number two. Yes. Which features Spider-Man. And uh, it is introduced as a Spider-Man story at first. Spider-Man is just fighting a criminal who's using super armor. And uh, the Silver Surfer comes flying by and, and, and thwarts his enemy and uh, saves, saves the day. And then Spider-Man and the Surfer have a bit of a heart-to-heart talk about what it is to have... Uh, great power and great responsibility. So getting into this one, there's a couple things that strike me. Number one, when the Silver Surfer shows up to to bail Spider-Man out, who's fighting this giant mech monster, who we, we're not told anything about, luckily, because right. it doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, he, he shows up after he blows it up through this kind of haze of fire, and he looks very alien. Mm-hmm. The, the, the art on him is sliding up for the first time. He's on his board, but they, they elongate him. So he mm-hmm. looks like one of these like typical Area 51 aliens in a way. Okay, yeah. And I think that's, I don't know if it's intentional, but it struck me as the difference between the two characters, right? Spider-Man is a very human character. Mm-hmm. And here comes this very alien, <laughs> you know, super powerful uh, being. And I thought that was, that was interesting. And it, it's, it was a good way to highlight how different these two characters are. Yes. Yeah, because as powerful as Spider-Man might be, he's just dwarfed by the surfer. Right, who's on a totally different level. I also mm-hmm. think it's very funny that when they show Peter Parker shopping for earrings, <laughs> okay, he sees that there's a giant mech destroying half of New York. Mm-hmm. And the lady at the jewelry store looks at it and goes, oh, that's in the Diamond District or something. We don't need to worry about that. Because she's so blasé to there being a super powerful robot destroying <laughs> half the city because it just <laughs> happens all the time. Right. And she's not concerned because it's in a different area of New York than her. <laughs> it's that's that's three blocks away get out of here 
that's essentially what she's saying. And yes. she doesn't even, she works at a jewelry store, arguably one of the less, least necessary stores out there. And she goes, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> it's four blocks away. Who cares? It's, and, and yet it, it is a, it is a commentary on New York. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like how long do you go in New York city without hearing a siren going? <laughs> Never. Right. <laughs> Um, and of course, when when the surfer shows up to help Spider Man, he immediately yells "Power Cosmic" and destroys the mech. <laughs> his calling card. That's his calling card, and I love it about him. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, that that's only the the framing device to get them to start talking. Right. Exactly. And you know, it's brilliantly done. It's because it starts off. You're, it's almost like reading a beautifully drawn uh, Spider Man comic. It, it absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. Again, they show that that. The, the separation in power as Silver Surfer says, hey, I just wanted to bail you out. I'm going to get out of here mm. and starts ascending. And Spider-Man is is unable to keep up with him. Right. He's like, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm running out of buildings. You're moving way too fast. <laughs> right. And, you know, yeah. he finally says something that causes a surfer to come back and start to, you know, to, to share. Peter Parker, they, they do a great job with his character in that he just has this kind of stream of consciousness of how the Silver Surfer could save the world. And as a reader, I remember re- feeling that way. Like I first started reading The Silver Surfer when I was in high school. And I was like, man, if I had that kind of power, what would I do? And I had these th- same thoughts, you know, curing world hunger, stopping wars and doing all this stuff. Because you would see stuff on the news. It's like the Silver Surfer could do this in that situation. And then right. he has unlimited power, essentially. Yeah. And Spider-Man has that thought process. of like, oh, you could do this. And then and then it proceeds of the thought process of like there is a downside to this good deed and everything you think about is is has a a consequence well that's spider-man's struggle right i wish i had more power to be able to solve all of these issues right i have this great responsibility but i'm limited in that i can only be where i you know i can only stop so many crimes and he goes, well, with unlimited power, what could I do? And he's able to kind of look at both sides of it. Well, I could give everyone money, but then money would be less valuable. And I mm-hmm. could do this, but then this is the opposite. You know, and it's, it's interesting, a, a human take on that, that he kind of, he runs through. Yeah, well, Spider-Man, his, his mantra, the great power with, uh, comes great responsibility. I, in many uh incidents he's wished that he didn't have power so he wouldn't have so much responsibility because he seems overburdened with responsibility typically and so you know he he kind of wishes that he didn't have the world to save and in which case you know not have the power to save the world so that's interesting well maybe i'm thinking that to have that ultimate power just to be able to solve things rather than have to you know, go yeah. and fight a mugger or a giant mech in the street. Right. Like he could just, okay, if I had all the power to do this, how would I do it? And he goes through that as, you know, breaking it down of why this would work and oops, here's why it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful, like I said, stream of consciousness of Peter Parker going, I could do this, but then this would go wrong. And yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that is ultimately the, the tragedy of Peter Parker. It's like he started off as a high school kid with, you know, n- next to no power. And wishing that he had more power, then he's gifted with the power. And then, of course, he's gifted with an additional responsibility. And when he first shirks that responsibility, he loses a loved one, Uncle Ben. So he, he does kind of encapsulate of, well, I guess you could say, be careful what you wish for. 
And then he gets put on the spot by the surfer, which is, hey, I can do this. What do you want me to do? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what this, that's what essentially the surfer asks him. He says, hey, how can I help? And Peter mm-hmm. goes, oh my God, I have all the power in the world at my disposal. Yeah. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, comes up with, uh, I think, an interesting idea. Okay, yeah. So what he finally settles on is um, giving basically a day's worth of cosmic, of the power cosmic, to Mary Jane. Yes, yes, because he, he was, the, the issue opens with him trying to buy her a birthday gift. <laughs> right, yes. Which he can't afford at that jewelry store. Mm-hmm. So his birthday present to her is a, a day's worth of cosmic power. And I'm thinking that maybe giving Mary Jane this power instead of himself, because Peter is burdened with this mantra of great power and great responsibility, whereas someone like Mary Jane is not quite burdened with that, that she can better enjoy a day's worth of power cosmic than Peter would. Yeah. He, he actually says something interesting in there about, uh, her, it's not her on the sidelines, but he's seen so many amazing things as Spider-Man. Yes. That wouldn't it be great to give her something? And you know, he gives her arguably something better, which mm-hmm. is to ride on a awesome surfboard <laughs> for an hour through like the, through wherever she wants to go, I think is what the surfer says. Right. You know, think of where you want to go and you'll go. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a beautiful sentiment and it shows, uh, you know, Peter Parker's selflessness. Yes. Is that, you know, that's a pretty awesome thing to be offered. And the first thing he says is, nah, I don't have time for that, which I, I'm reading this story going, what? What are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> well, and then I mean, he, he doesn't go anywhere, right? He stays in place. No, he stays in place. But when the surfer offers it, he says, hey, do you want to basically go for a ride on my board? I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He says it far right. more eloquently. But he goes, hey, you want to take my board out for an hour? And Peter, right. Parker, Peter Parker says, no, I got a lot to do. And mm. I'm sitting there reading it going, wait a minute. Is this real? Is he turning down this opportunity because mm. he's got to submit something to the, the paper? And then what he does is goes to get his girlfriend and let her uh-huh. do it. Beautiful. You know. Right. His time needs to be spent on giving her a birthday present. Right. And so that, that, that brought it back into focus for me. I was, mm-hmm. it, they almost lost me there when he said, <laughs> I'm busy. Wait, what? <laughs> right. No. Yeah. And the thing is, is if had Peter gone through this day that Mary Jane did, he'd be racked with guilt of all the stuff that he didn't get accomplished. Right. <laughs> um, I, but I thought um, after Mary Jane goes, Peter Parker comes up with something, you know, after kind of going through all of the ways the power cosmic could help and then how it could end up hurting earth. Peter Parker goes, Hey, what you just did for Mary Jane. Could you do that for the whole planet? Mm -hmm. And the surfer says, yeah, I, you know, he doesn't have the power to do it to for, you know, forever, but he can Mm -hmm. do it for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. So So everyone is suddenly omniscient. Right. For five minutes, which Mm -hmm. once again is why it's important that this story is a finite contained story right because everyone doesn't currently have the memory of being omniscient in continuity like yeah that would be a big event right that's not something you could just brush over and go oh space robot robots showed up next week Mm -hmm. like like he 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 puts a profound change on the earth right before he leaves it for the last time yeah and so having that be part of a regular continuity would cheapen it true because at the end of this comic Peter Parker says, and I never saw the Silver Surfer again. 
Right. Which again is, is why I, it's amazing. This is like time shifted. Mm-hmm. Right. Because again, that sentiment is beautiful. And the silver surfer shares this beautiful thing with the earth and his girlfriend and then leaves for the last time. And if two months later he showed up to help fight Doc, Dr. Rock, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it just drains all the drama out of this story. So I'm glad that this takes place in a, again, a time shifted universe. Right. Because it is a beautiful end to that story with Peter Parker looking at it's the end of Mad Max, right? And we never saw the man again. We never mm-hmm. saw the the wanderer again. Right. The other thing that struck me is weren't people flying airplanes? What do you mean? Well, the Silver Surfer coats the whole earth in the power cosmic and everyone becomes omniscient and mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. goes on this journey. Mm-hmm. Was somebody flying a seven forty seven at the time? So you're saying like or a bus lose control of whatever it is they're doing because they're distracted by ultimate knowledge? You know, if I was driving down the interstate and suddenly I was able to fly through the moons of Jupiter, I may not realize what's happening behind the wheel. Yeah, I didn't see anyone exhibiting actual power, so to speak. I just saw their eyes turn color. So I was wondering if it was just they were granted by, you know, the secrets of the universe. I assume that whatever the power cosmic does, it took into account that somebody might be going through an intersection at the time. And hopefully that wouldn't cause more. (laughs) Once again, Peter Parker came up with a great solution, but did he really think it through? Hey, give everyone the power cosmic. I hope nobody's in the middle of, you know, (laughs) an intersection crosswalk at the time. And and you see depicted like Fidel Castro and stuff. It's like, I don't want him to have the power (laughs) you know so i I, it was done in a very uh, idealistic way it's like no one there was no downside to anyone being granted ultimate power or omniscience or anything because i I certainly don't want my eight-year-old to know everything in the world right now (laughs) right (laughs) because there's a lot that's bad out there that i would like to shield her from but I, i like the way they framed it is that he shows it and everybody just has this basically this beautiful moment of like understanding of the universe maybe yeah and again, it's he's leaving a final gift to Earth, which he mm-hmm. spent so much time protecting, and then he leaves forever, which is a right. beautiful, uh, just a beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it for issue two. Yes, uh, outside of a quick mention that he mm-hmm. does scream the power cosmic in Mary Jane's face. <laughs> I made a note of that. He says, "I'm going to imbue you with the power cosmic because the you know, power cosmic." He, he's got his tagline, and he's going to let you know. <laughs> there should always be a buildup to him about to say it. It really does feel like a tagline, and I love that about him. <laughs> just write ellipses before he says it, and everyone <laughs> just knows it's about to happen. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. They're, Come on, say it. <laughs> I'm going to grant you the... <laughs> say it. Say it! <laughs> Power contact! I love it. I love that that's a thing, because when I first read a story with the Silver Surfer, he says it like six times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that just... Is that what he always does? And then in this comic, which is a very grounded, and there's not much levity outside mm-hmm. of the other characters, Spider-Man, Johnny Storm, and stuff. Right. It, it is his Colin card, and I, I just, I can't get enough of it. Issue three. Yes. Now, the surfer is uh, flying across the galaxy. But, this is uh, a, very, a very discordant issue with the rest of the the rest of the story yes so he comes across a couple of warring races out in the middle of space and uh essentially this uh issue is going to teach them a lesson right (laughs) right um so yeah tell me your take on this issue 
I think that the author is using space aliens to say something too controversial to ascribe to humanity. I think you're right. Yes. I think that he, this, I, I don't want to say preachy because it's very well done. Mm-hmm. And it does, it did not come off as ham fisted or very preachy, but he is certainly, this is certainly an allegory to, to, to us. Oh, for sure. But he doesn't, yeah. it's, it's far easier to palette if it's done with, weird space aliens than if you said hey let's go to the cashmere region mm-hmm. and t- you know what i mean it's, yes it's, it's, it's far better to do it with space let's, aliens let's talk the about warring judaism and islam and all that that's what he's talking about i mean for sure yeah and and you know it, it can also be applied to other stuff that's why you you want to make it as generic as possible because everyone's got issues with each other right and, and you know uh, yeah you, you're doing it in a story about a, a, a silver man who surfs in space. Right. So you've got to be very careful when you attack these issues. And he does it well because he does it again with space aliens and how they, they have uh, parallel gods that have come up at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, can, I can sum up. Basically, it's two races or two planets that are um, the, the fourth and fifth planet from their sun. Mm-hmm. They monitor each other. So at they're progressing at the same rate. Uh huh. There's like but an arms race. There's an arms race. Well, what they learn is that they thought the other planet also believed what they believed. Okay. And when they learn that they have different gods, they mm. realize that each each other have to be destroyed. Right. And so it's there's strictly a, a religious issue. Right. And then it's an endless war. Mm-hmm. And what we find out through the issue is that the two leaders are friends and are sitting basically having a drink together watching the endless war. <laughs> right. Because their people have to fight, but it makes the people feel good to see that their leaders are not fighting or something, that their leaders are civilized. And it's very, mm. it's very pointed, <laughs> very mm-hmm. pointed story. In fact, it's, it's potentially an interesting enough story that I don't know why it was the third issue of the Silver Surfer Facing Mortality. It's almost a distraction. Yeah, it is. To the overall story. It's fun. Yeah, you've got a four-part story in which there's almost a, a detour of the overall story because really we're not dealing too much with the surfer's death. No, not at all. But he That's... is kind of answering that question of Spider-Man. It's like, you could end a war. It's like, oh, look at this. He's ending a war. It's just not Earth War. Yeah, he just happens upon one on his way home. Mm-hmm. A, a generational conflict. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It talks about like the sanctity of their leaders. Right, like the two the two heads of the the two planets are like the people wouldn't want them to fight is what they say. Mm-hmm. Is that the the leader should be above the the, the conflict, mm-hmm. which is interesting. They, they don't like, want to get their hands dirty, so to speak. And and they claim that the people wouldn't want them to get their hands dirty. Uh huh. Showing the kind of you know elitist class of people you know at the at yep. the yeah. And we've seen this in like an episode of Star Trek, I think, um, uh, A Taste of Armageddon, I think. But there's this episode where they simulate war uh, because the the people in charge are like, oh, we don't want to get ourselves dirty, essentially. And what they would do is, oh, according to this simulation, your city got obliterated. And so you get to be put to death. And so there is still a downside to war but they've completely sterilized it. And so war- the ugliness out. Yeah. So the war continues perpetually because there's no real 
ugliness. Like their buildings get to remain intact. You don't have to worry about your infrastructure or anything getting destroyed. The only downside is, oh, people have to die occasionally. Right. And that's what this kind of feels like. It's like yeah. the futility of the war machine. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they, you know, that's what the Silver Surfer shows up and kind of understands. He shows up and says, so you want me to judge which is the better society? Right. And the two sides say, no, we want you here because the people wanted you here. Now that you've been here, you can go. Mm. And we're going to continue our endless war because essentially they're making the profit, right? They're like, ah, right. you know, mm. we want the war to continue because that's how we fund our grand lifestyle. And the Silver Surfer says, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm how it ends is the silver surfer blows up their religions, Mm. which is also a very charged thing to do if you were doing it on earth. Yes. And (laughs) clearly why the choice was made to not do this on earth. Cause yeah, you, you would offend a lot of people if you just say your religion is wrong. I'm destroying your religion. Right. He, and what he does is he shows up, he blows up both of their shrines. And by doing that, shows that the, the people are what's important. In fact, I, I, I'm looking at the, the, the actual panel because it's the most beautiful panel of the third. It, really, the reason the third issue was printed, right? The reason this is part of the story. <laughs> the final panel. The, the final panel where he mm-hmm. says, and if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war, then make all people holy, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like the, their religious places were untouched by the conflict because those were holy right. places. And I he says, you. we'll make everywhere a holy place. That's a good point. It's a beautiful. Again, mm-hmm. you take a, a, an issue that doesn't really seem to vibe with the rest of the story they're telling, mm-hmm. and then you sum it up with this last panel that's yeah. really striking. Yeah. Um, I've had this to say about religion and, and Christianity of if, if it's making you hate, then you're doing it wrong. Because um, I do see value in Christianity and religion as a whole. Because it, it does typically preach to um, exude the, the best qualities of humanity to treat everyone on the earth with a degree of love. And it's often portrayed as the opposite. And in this story, it's portrayed as the opposite. But I think that final statement of make all people holy is a mantra that is uh, preached in most religions. Because all people are right. worthy of love, according to most religions. Right. And that's, um, it, it brings it back to what you're saying when we're talking about issue one, is that he is kind of a Christ-like figure right? in a lot of this. I mean, it's certainly not, you know, religious-wise, but he's that sacrificial character. Yeah, exactly. And, and this one really ties that together. Mm-hmm. But it did, it did feel weird in the, the, the beats of the story that he just comes upon a galactic boar. And goes yes. to it, but again, we, we this entire issue is leading up to that last panel mm-hmm. to really drive the point home, and it's beautiful. Yeah. It is funny that he they build a statue to him afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've learned nothing. He shows up. He goes, "I'm destroying your false gods," and they're like, "Oh, you're our god." And they build a statue, and <laughs> they can't help away. it. They can't help it. It's, they can't it's in their nature. It. Yes, but again, hey, if if you're worshiping a god that teaches you to love everyone. And that uh, at one point that God was willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good, then more power to him. Right. That, that's, that, and that's the point of it. I think they, that's what it, um, in the comic, it shows him using this power to do this and he's breaking down, right? He's mm-hmm. stressing himself to do this. 
Yes. That's kind of the point. He's sacrificing his last mm -hmm. bit of time in the galaxy doing this. Right. All right, issue number four. We're going back to the surfer's home planet of Zen La, where his uh, true love, Shalabal, lives. So issue four reads a, a lot like, I'm bringing this back to the Sandman and Neil Gaiman, it reads a lot like The Wake to me, mm -hmm. which was the last of the Sandman story. Okay. Basically, which is, which is after his death, but mm -hmm. that's, a, a, that's the Sandman. This, you know, this is basically him tying up loose ends. Right. And, and returning to his planet. And again, I don't know the Silver, Stories back, the Silver Surfer excuse me, backstory, Mm -hmm. But I was shocked when he shows up there and his girl is still alive. <laughs> right. You're wondering how long has he been doing this? Uh, yeah, because it, it's kind of, it, it doesn't tell me in this, this story, right? How long mm -hmm. the Silver Surfer has been Galactus's Herald. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, we don't know exactly what year in Earth years uh, he does make this dedication to being a Herald of Galactus. And then... Many years later, after all the heralding, he comes to Earth, and then he's trapped on Earth for however many years, and then finally he's been released from his prison of Earth, goes around more flying and, and adventuring, and then eventually we have this story, which, oh, Shalabal's still alive. Yeah, I don't know the lifespan of a typical Zenlanian, so I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. And apparently Earth is a long way from Zenla because he, he yeah. even points that out, that it takes him a while to get there and he can move at some ridiculously fast pace. Right. Oh, yeah. He exceeds the speed of light. But yeah, so he comes home and he opens his eyes and there is his girl. And at that point, I was like, wait, your lady's still alive. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you doing in space? But apparently I, I did some research after reading this and apparently he did try to rekindle their romance at some point mm -hmm. and it didn't happen. Right. So yeah, there have been stories because, yeah, there was the original concept, which is once you betrayed Galactus, you can never again go out into the universe. So, of course, he can't see Shalabal ever again. And that made sense. But once he was released from that prison, then aren't you just going to go back to Shalabal? And, yeah, there were stories where he gets reunited with Shalabal, but, like, there is an issue. Things can't be the same again. It just... Right. And out. so this, this is the issue that I needed a little bit of, I, I needed some notes, right? I mm -hmm. need to go and, and, and do a little research online to put it together because mm -hmm. this assumes that I know some things that I don't like that right. shallow ball has some part of the power cosmic that he gave uh, her at some point. Oh, that I didn't even know. Because <laughs> at some point she, when he, when she, when he's lying there and they're going through their high technology ways to like save him. Mm -hmm. the one of the high priests or doctors or something on his planet says we can't save him mm -hmm. and she says what if i use the power cosmic or the part of the power cosmic that i have mm -hmm. and so at that point i went okay clearly i need to know some more about girl shalabal because <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> she's also up to something right. but the point of it honestly none of that mattered the point of it is he's dying mm -hmm. right you can't save him yeah so every person that encounters him says, oh, how can we save him? You can't, because that's the point of this story. Right. That he has a terminal illness and he's dying. Mm -hmm. um, I thought a couple things were interesting. Like when he, land, when he comes back to his planet, they kind of lay him out and he wants to see all the people. 
Mm-hmm. Like they bring a procession of people past his bed, right, on the planet, and they're mm-hmm. they're essentially walking up to like touch him. <laughs> uh huh. More to that like kind of deity he's become. Sure, yeah. Like they're all coming and they want to put their hands on him, which reminds me of like the the shadow of the cross passing people in Ben Hur. Mm-hmm. Like everybody just wants to be somewhere near him or to see him. You know what I mean? Or touch his robe essentially. What was it the 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 shroud of of Torin or something where in, in the Vatican. They would display it and then like not everyone got a view of it. So they all held mirrors above their heads and like then the mirrors had power and there was all this stuff with being in the presence of something that possibly touched their savior. That's what, it, that. that's what it feels like. It, yeah. Yeah, he's there and laying there and, you know, on his last days mm-hmm. and he, he wants to be out there to like see these people. And of course they want to see him because he saved their world from a giant planet eating monster. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and then when they touch him, they get a Logan's Run gem in their hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is there to like help them remember, hey, don't be a dick. The Silver Surfer died for you. <laughs> right. Like again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, but that's basically mm-hmm. what he gives them. And it's kind of a sweet gesture. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Galactus shows up. And I think this is one of those unresolved things that they have to wrap up at the end. Because like, yes, I mean, because there would be that question of, hey, couldn't Galactus, he's the one that designed this galactic glaze in the first place you know what it felt like it's funny as important as i think the third issue was in getting its message across Mm -hmm. i feel like the fourth issue could have been two issues Mm, there's a lot to wrap up Mm -hmm. and a lot of it just kind of gets i would have loved to see the fourth issue wrap up with galactus showing up again and that that being kind of a cliffhanger Mm. because galactus shows up with his big round world leadership or whatever it is right and then the people would be like "Uh oh and that happens in one of the panels yeah they see him and like noran rad thinks that he goes oh no is galactus back because Mm -hmm. i'm dying and now my contract is up right like there's that moment and you're like oh wait that's galactus he's here Mm -hmm. and then it just goes oh now he's just here to say bye Mm -hmm. and then they fly him up there and galactus goes sorry man i can't help you essentially (laughs) yes um, but yeah, I, I would have liked to, to have stressed that out a little bit because it happens mm-hmm. over the course of, you know, four panels. Right. Yeah. That, that could have been a, a, a nice cliffhanger. Yeah. You would like Galactus showing up to be a very momentous occasion. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, you get, it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle, I think. Yeah. You do kind of lose that suspense of, oh, will he or won't he devour this planet upon the Silver Surfer's death? Um, but really he's kind of there just to show like, no, 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 we've crossed every T and dotted every I there's no saving the silver server. Right. And, and that's important, right. To Mm -hmm. go, okay. It's just, it's just drilling it into your head. No, no, he's got a terminal illness. He's going Mm -hmm. to pass away. Yep. Which is, I think is important to do in comic books because that's a lot of the formula of it, right? Mm -hmm. If someone has something terrible about to happen and in the last issue, the last page, some deus ex machina shows up and stops it. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times that deus ex machina is the silver surfer. Yes. <laughs> Shows up. Well, I've solved everything. Okay, great. Well, mm-hmm. this one, the silver surfer is dying. Even Galactus can't fix his machine, which is on the fritz. Mm-hmm. His gloss coat, as you called it, or something. The galactic glaze. Galactic glaze. I don't know if that's ever mentioned in this storyline, but I know in other issues that's been what it's been called. 
It's not, but I dig the term. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've established that Galactus cannot save him, and it's time for the Silver Surfer to end his life, and he does. And so, as a tribute, Galactus seems to form uh, another star in the name of the Silver Surfer. Yes, that shines on the dark side of the planet <laughs> of of Zenla. Of Zenla, right? It's so always no on more the... nighttime for Zenla. Oh, <laughs> I didn't take it like that. <laughs> It's, it, it, he, has, he makes a North Star for them. Okay, so it's not right? that bright. That they can always see at night. Okay, that's nice. As, as like a reminder of the Silver Surfer's sacrifice for them. Mm-hmm. It does, I think the, it, it wraps up quickly. That's, I was left with that. Yeah, no, and I agree that you spent all that time in issue three dedicating about this religious war, whereas we are trying to wrap up the the surfer's life so yeah they do kind of compress issue four a bit and so i was thinking as i was re when i finished the the fourth issue i went through and i i wanted to check myself and go was this actually a great story or was it the art you know Mm, okay if if it had conventional panel art would this have been any good Mm, okay um and was it a bunch of like were they ginning up the drama in the early ones to kind of uh, to, to to trick me into thinking this was a more impactful story than it was, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, a, a lot of the Reed Richard stuff and uh, people reacting him, reacting to him dying, does it pay off? Because at that point, did you know he was going to die or not? Or or just that like when we get to the end of it, like what was the point of this? Okay, if the it, it, I, I I not that that was the case, but that's what I had to kind of sit down and think about Mm -hmm. is like, was this just, was this just to amp up the drama and to make this story seem like more than it was? Was this how you felt in reading it or once you had finished reading it? Once I had finished reading it, because it does kind of come to a, I don't know how to say it. It comes to a, maybe an unsatisfying ending. Okay. We know he's going to die. Again, that's mm-hmm. the point of the story. Right. But the, the, the execution of it, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what made me think, like, was this just beautiful art mm. and, and ramped up drama? But I, I don't think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it wrapped up a little too fast for my taste. Okay. Like, I, I didn't, once it was over... I think maybe the, the resolution, meaning... You don't see the after effects after he had passed away. Like, how does it affect, you know, Spider-Man and Mary Jane? How does it affect these other... You're left with the imagination of, you'll assume, how the people of Zen Law live after the storyline is over. But you don't get to really see the resolution. I think I would have liked it to be more personal, actually. Because we're given the, the kind of the capstone for Spider-Man and Reed Richards when Spider-Man says, and we never saw the Silver Surfer again. Right. You know, but I think mm-hmm. I wanted it to be more personal with him and his, um, I, I'm never going to remember her name. Are you talking about Mary Jane? No, I'm sorry. Silver Surfer. Oh, Shalabal. Shalabal. Right. I would have loved it for it to be him and Shalabal and maybe having like a personal moment mm. where, where you kind of zoom in instead of zooming out. Okay. Because at the end, we zoom out, and Galactus makes a new star. Mm-hmm. And the, the Watcher says, you know, it's a bummer my friend died. Mm-hmm. I would have loved it to go the opposite direction, where we're, 
we're sitting with a, a guy in a room with his mm-hmm. girl mm. as he's passing away. Right. And maybe them having a personal moment mm-hmm. rather than a new star was born. You know, it, it, okay. it felt very big as opposed to a personal mm-hmm. story, a personal ending. Right, right. We, we kind of leave his perspective in the fourth comic. I see what you're saying. Because whereas it starts off in a rather grounded sense, now you're kind of faced with, oh, okay, like here's a panel with Uwato the Watcher. Right. Here's, <laughs> here's uh, Galactus creating a new star for him. It's right. like, I'd like to see what he's doing on his last day mm-hmm. and in the in the fourth issue it, it zooms way out and that's why it felt like the wake which was a sandman comic because mm-hmm. it's basically a bunch of other people reacting to the sandman dying right whereas i want to be in the room with norin rad and his friends and family or whoever's there to kind of see that instead of the grandeur of it so there was a storyline that i did on made in the trade called uh, hulk ground zero and the final issue of Hulk Ground Zero has a courtroom um, setting where witnesses are taking the stand and they're all kind of giving their take on the Hulk's life and his last days and what the Hulk meant to them. But he had just died in the last panel of the last of the previous issue. And so you have a, an entire issue dedicated to after the main character dies. And you don't have that here. He dies you know, three quarters of the way through the last issue. And then right. maybe even more so you only have maybe a page or two dedicated to ha- after he had died and how do people deal with it? But you don't really get the, how people deal with it. You get the shots of their faces and there's a new star and that's it. Yeah. And that's, I, I would have loved to, I, I keep using the analogy, but zoom in on mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Because we lose his narrative at some point, right? We have his inner monologue to start it. Right. And then we end with the Watcher's monologue. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. would have loved it to end with him. Yeah. Right? As he passes away or as he, mm. you know, whatever happens with him. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, and, and you could have done a fade to black just like he, he lived his life out in space. He lived in blackness for a lot of his life. Which would be, I think, would have been more effective to me. Because, again, when you try to wrap up all these loose ends in the space of one issue. Right. Especially one issue with beautiful, like, full-page oil paintings. Mm -hmm. You can't get a lot of content in there. Right. Um, But, again, I I don't, it sounds like I don't want to nitpick it. It was a beautiful story, Mm -hmm. I thought. You're saying that the the resolution, the ending, didn't live up to how you felt about the, the rest of the story. It felt like a very personal story, and at the end, it got very big. Mm-hmm. That's understandable, because it does I, kind of try to send it home for the Marvel Comics fans. Right. People who read Marvel Comics be like, wow, there's the Watcher is upset, and Galactus is upset, and like that's not easy to do. They see people die all the time. Yeah, Galactus shows up and kind of gets choked up, really, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So as a, once again, how how'd you feel about the, the, the story in general? I really liked it. Yeah. I think after kind of examining, was it just the art? I don't think it was. I think it was a very well done story. And as I mm-hmm. said before, it's very important that it takes place outside of continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one of the questions I had in my notes to like ask you immediately was, wait, the Silver Surfer came back after this, right? 
<laughs> and then I did some research and went, okay, good. This right. is not a... <laughs> no, there's no Silver Surfer after this story. But uh, yes, there are other stories with the Silver Surfer in regular continuity. He's still alive. We just got mm-hmm. to see his end, which right. is great. Yeah. No, I, I loved it. I, I, I like that you can deal with mortality. Um, and it's in a, in a supernatural environment. So maybe it doesn't really um, hit too close to home if you choose not to. Or you can choose to apply it to your, your own loss. And uh, maybe it helps you deal better with loss uh, through this story. I think there's some beautiful lessons about life and death in here. And uh, also about fantasies of power. And, you know, there are more powerful people than than uh, unpowerful people in this world where there is true power. I mean, like, yes, people aren't shooting laser beams out of their hands and flying through the vacuum of space, but there are, you know, leaders of nations and, and leaders of corporations, and they all make their own choices as well. And sometimes they do their choices based on morality. And it's, it's interesting to, to think of the world through the lens of a, a, a comic book. Yes, um, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to see his character, especially a, a very uh, monotone, not monotone, um, a very distant person viewing our society, mm-hmm. uh, an alien right. perspective on our society. Right. Honestly, I think the entire, the, 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 the highlight of it is his analogy about the monarch butterfly. Yeah. I mean, that's what this, that's what this story is about, mm-hmm. right? Is that he's going to use the time he has left. Right. And shifting your perspective when you have a terminal uh, prognosis. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me with the Silver Surfer Requiem. Thank you. And uh, please, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to Made in the Trade. And my other podcast is Cluster Fudge. You can find that on iTunes and other podcast services. For now, tune in next time. Bye. Bye.